0: following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, So last week we began a three-part series called CORE, really intended to examine our our CORE mission as a church, our three-part mission to, to magnify God's glory, to live as God's people, and to engage in God's mission. You guys have heard that enough, right? Magnify, live, and engage. Anybody becoming nauseated over that yet? then I need to keep talking about it, if not. So we're going to keep going. Now, we mentioned that if we're going to be a faithful church, we, we know that we're actually being a faithful church when these three principles are manifested, increasingly manifested in the life of the people that, that attend here. And so whether you are here, been here for six months or a couple years or looking down the road, if Holy Cross has been your home for 20 years, Lord willing, we hope that you will deeply understand these three things and actually grow in manifesting these these. Uh, characteristics, these pursuits of ours. We mentioned last week that quote uh, from motivational speaker Zig Ziglar, when you aim at nothing you hit it every time. So as a church we desire to to aim at something, to pursue something, to be intentional and to have a vision that propels us forward as God's people so that we are being faithful towards a goal that is derived from God's Word and true to our, our community and authentic to who we are. We believe this is what a healthy church does And not only that, but we believe this is what a healthy follower of Christ does as well, is actually aiming for something. So last week we talked about magnify God's glory. There's nothing more glorious than God. And so our passage in 1 Peter that we've been working through tells us when the glory of God is our primary aim, it provides for us an anchor, an anchor for our faith and uh, and, and in a life of inexpressible joy as we pursue Jesus. Being born again, is the result of the love of God, the life of Jesus, uh, impacting our life and changing our identity, changing who we are. And so with this in mind, we go to part two of our mission, and that is to live as God's people. Let's go to 1 Peter. Uh, we'll, we'll read in chapter 1, starting in verse 22 this morning. 1 Peter one twenty two. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here is the the most important word in this passage that we've read. And that is the word in, in verse 23. It's the word since, since. S-I-N-C-E. And what what he is showing us here, what the author Peter is showing us, is there is this link between our gospel identity and our gospel community, the two things that God's creating in us. A, a, A new identity, we become born again, and he's creating for us a new people, a new community to live out this new identity. The gospel identity is that God loves us, that the gospel has changed us and caused us to be born again to a living hope. And with that, all his joy and forgiveness and his relationships were loved by God were forgiven because of who he is and not because of what we have done and since all of this is true since he has accomplished all of that since this gift of his mercy and love has been poured out on us since all of that has happened this results in a connected life with God and a connected life with others in the book of Genesis the Bible uh, tells us that mankind was made in the image of God We are the crown of his creation. God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We are image bearers of God. We exist as a living reflection of God who lives in eternal community with himself. And so the definition of who we are, when we're trying to figure out the question, who am I, who are you, we are given an understanding to look through the the lens of the Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit Spirit eternally existing in perfect community with themselves. And he imprints this identity on us. And since he has done that, God desires that we would reflect his identity in our lives, connected with him and connected with others. This means that, in part, that we are created for community, that we're created for authentic, sanctifying, connected community with others. And The good news of God's grace enables us to accomplish this in our lives. And so to live as God's people means that we desire to open up the scriptures together, to center around God's word and open it up and say, how do we live out what the Bible tells us about who we are as his people? How do we live this out in all the details of our lives, whether it means being a mother, a father, a neighbor, a worker, a citizen, a a person, a part of the family of God? What does it mean to live out these identities? When you think about it, it, we're going to have a hard time trying to define who we are without using terms of community. Let me give you an example. If I say, who are you? You might say, well, I'm I'm, I'm a father. Well, if you're a father, that means you have a son, and if you have a son, that means there's a family, and if there's a family, well, that's a community. Well, I'm a teacher. Well, if you're, you have, in order to be a teacher, you have to have students. That's a community. And I imagine maybe the, the only thing I was trying to rack my brain, was there any scenario where, where people couldn't define who they are in relation to community? I thought well, maybe like, like a hobo or a drifter or something. And that's like an extreme example of someone who's trying to get away from community, trying to define who they are, not connected with others. Maybe that is the appeal, to, to not be connected with each other. So instead of looking at the Bible, opening up and seeing signs of a a club for individuals to be connected to or to become members of, we want to see Jesus binding together his people by his word. And so as the culture that we live in becomes more individualistic, more talking about who we are individually, more autonomous people, we want to, we desire to be be a church uh, that affirms our place in community with each other. And so the Bible as you walk through this in 1 Peter tells us some things about how to live out this identity as God's people. How to live in community and what things are important when we think about those things. The first one is we see uh, right off the bat is in, in chapter 2 is to remove community killers from your life. To remove community killers. And he lists these five characteristics. And these are five community killers, five things in, your, in our life that can kill community, kill fellowship with one another. Malice. And deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You know, malice is when we these are ugly words, but these are common experiences in, in all of our lives. Malice is when we really don't like somebody and we want harm to come to them. We just they bother us and we just wish that they weren't so happy all the time. Deceit That hit us that hit a, a chord. <laughs> deceit. <laughs> deceit is like flattery. When you when you when you tell things to somebody or flattery over flattery uh, of somebody when you really don't mean it. You're deceiving them how you feel about them. Hypocrisy is actually pretending to be someone's friend when you're really not. Envy is is grieving at the good of others and celebrating their failures or the things that are happening to them that you want. Why do those things happen to them? Why don't they happen to me? And you want somebody to actually hurt. Slander is speaking evil in the form of gossip and, 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 and otherwise. And we are to get rid of these things because they kill community, they kill friendship. We're to get rid of them not with gritted teeth, but in a pursuit of living a life of love with others and a people who love God. And I really love the, the remedy of this. Is he doesn't say, now if you struggle with gossip, just keep it to yourself. Or if you struggle with hating another person, just stuff, stuff it inside. He says if you want to grow, you need to nurture your life with God's word. You need to nurture that out of you. And this is the second thing. If we want to live as God's people, we remove these killers from our life. And secondly, we have a healthy diet of God's word. Peter is acting like a wise doctor. He sees what kills us, and he doesn't just say, avoid these things, but he says, now get on a plan of getting healthy, of getting your community and your relationship healthy. And he says, like newborn infants, crave the spiritual milk, long for the spiritual milk. They look, think of newborns. They need milk to live, and so they cry out for it. They cry out often for it. We need it to grow. If we want to grow, grow and, and maintain a healthy relationship with people around us, God's word must be treated like mother's milk to a newborn. Why do we need God's word like this? Have you ever tried to forgive somebody who really hurt you? Have you ever tried to love the unlovable? You will realize how out of your gift set you are, how far out of your realm and comfort zone you are when you're actually trying to do what the Bible asks us to do with our enemies, with those who hurt, with those who betray, with those who slander and, and, and harm us. Here's why we need God's word like this, to nurture us like, a, like mother's milk to an infant is because everyone is great until you get to know them. (laughs) Including you, okay? Now, I'll tell you right now, if I could be loved by everyone and love everyone, I could do that if I just moved every six to eight months. I mean, if I just picked (laughs) up my life, I mean, I would be like everybody's favorite and everybody would be my best friend if I just changed my environment every so often. This is true. Everyone is great until you get to know them. It's true about you. It's true about me. On our own, God has given us an impossible task to love one another out of a pure heart, to be connected with one another in such a way that we are building up one another. This is an impossible task. So if you feel like this is hard, if you feel like it is difficult, then, this, then you're, you're on the right track because it's supposed to be. He's created us for community, and he's given us broken community. He has created us to be connected with one another, and then he connects us with diseased and damaged people. He's stretched us beyond our capacities, and he wants us to realize that we cannot do what he has called us to do without abiding in him, abiding abiding in Jesus. 1 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We forget this a lot, I think, that everything that God has called us to, every good work that He's called us to, we cannot do it without abiding in Him, without allowing the Word of God to nurture us regularly as, as an infant desires mother's milk. We ought to crave for it. He describes God's word also like an indestructible seed. And and it is simple in appearance. It's a a simple seed, but when it's lived out, it grows to maturity and produces all kinds of fruit. What forms healthy relationships is, is a little unexpected, I think. What makes a good friend is not a commitment to friendship, but a commitment to the gospel as it's revealed in scripture. And so you can make yourself guilty all day long by saying, I need to pursue community better. I need to be a better friend. I need to go and out and do things. And you can feel like a horrible person all the time when you fail. But our commitment isn't just to being in community. Our commitment is to the gospel word and to the word of God as it's revealed in scripture. And when our commitment is primarily to that, we will see how it, it, it describes for us how to engage in life, how to live as his people how to bear more and more on our daily life and our relationships when we give ourselves to His Word. We will be compelled then to pursue what it tells us to do. So as we grow into maturity, we'll see also how we fit into the family. And thirdly, to live as God's people is to affirm your place in the body of Christ. He talks about this, he describes who we are as a spiritual Spiritual stones, building up a spiritual house. Now, my son Cohen, you, you guys know him. Many of you know him. I've talked about him from time to time. And I have a small window of how, how long I can talk about my kids at church. And that window's closing soon. So I'm going to try to get as many stories in as possible before I, before I embarrass them. Cohen's three. And he's been really, it's been really fun seeing this relationship that he has with his sister, who's now almost one and a half, how I've seen it just develop and evolve over time. When Kate was born, Cohen was like, what is this and why is it making so much noise? I mean, that was his relationship with this thing, this it. What, what, what did you bring into our home, right? <laughs> <clears throat> then about a year later, it turned into, it seems like she's going to stay a while, and so I am going to kind of lay down the groundwork and let her know who's boss. And so I'm going to sit on her head a lot, I'm going to spit in her ear. I'm just going to, I'm going to let her know who's in charge. I'm going to throw the TV remote at her and not care. This is, this is what his relationship basically looked like. But now we've seen over the last, really just the last couple months or so, it evolving now again into something different. We see something beautiful happening. Now he is saying, Kate is my sister and I'm her brother. You're my mommy, you're my daddy, that's the dog Maggie, that's Kate, I'm her brother, she's my sister. And so Janae and I, obviously nothing's in the works, nothing's planned, nothing's going on right now, but we might anticipate, what if we brought another little person around the family? And so we're talking to Cohen, hey, would you like a little sister? Would you like another brother? No, Kate's my sister, I'm her brother, just Cohen and Kate. <coughs> How about a brother? No, I'm her brother, Kate's, Kate's my sister, I'm her brother, Cohen's her brother, Maggie's my dog. Wh- why are we having this conversation? It's like, he's like, what is going on here? We've got everything set, I know where we are. But there's something really cool here that's taking shape. As he matures, and as he, as he matures, his relationship is, is more clearly defined within the family. He, he knows who he is, he knows who the people around him are. And he sees his role in that. He sees, this is my sister. I may, uh, I may still sit on her head from time to time, but I'm going to love her, protect her, care for her. I, she is mine. I don't want to share her with everybody else. I know my job. And p- our author here is doing this, this very same thing, and I hope you see that. He says, if you want to live as God's people, you, want to, you need to put off the things that kill community. You need to soak up God's word, and you must affirm your place within the body of Christ, within the family of God. You need to see where you fit in. You need to see who you are and who the people are around you, and this is going to define how you interact with them. In verse 5, he says, You are priests. You are building, you are building a spiritual house. You're offering spiritual sacrifices. You're building up something together. You're not living in isolation. you're not autonomous, but you're a part of something. And Jesus is gathering a new community. He's bringing people together, changed by the love of God. That's the only thing that binds us together. It's the only thing that, that is in common amongst all of us at our heart is that Jesus has loved us, and he's now telling us to, to be like priests, to be priests. Now this is an interesting phrase, an interesting identity, because we don't often think of ourselves as priests. What do priests do? I think it, help, it helps to understand, what do they do, what's the function of a priest? Priests kill things. Uh, primarily, they kill things. They sacrifice. They put things to death. They, uh, they put things to death so that other things might live. In the Old Testament, priests were in the temple. They entered into the God's presence. They communicated with God on behalf of God's people. They made sacrifices on behalf of the sins of God's people. God looked on that sacrifice with favor and forgave the people. So the priest was an, inter, an, inter, uh, an intermediary, uh, an advocate for the people. And they made requests to God on their behalf, and they killed something so that they, the people might live. We are called priests twice in this passage, and I think it's important since we're called this a couple times to flesh it out just a bit. How does this relate to us? Moses, let's go back to Moses. Moses was told, by God to tell the people that he wanted them, he wanted to create among them a priesthood, a priesthood in the kingdom of God. A kingdom of priests. The purpose was so that God's people would be a beacon of light and hope to the world around us in the midst of a culture that is increasingly ungodly, immoral. And so, do you remember what happened with God's people? I'll, I'll sum it up for you in the best way I know how they failed miserably. They blew it. They failed. God desired to make among them a kingdom of priests to be hope for the nations, and they, instead of doing that, they turned to the idols of the culture. They began to love the things the culture loved. They, their hearts slowly drifted from God. Instead of influencing the world, they became influenced by the world They adopted idol worship. Their families became broken. They became people that looked and lived exactly like everybody else in the culture. And in a culture where there is, so today and even then, in a culture where there is more confusion about gender roles, about marriage and divorce, about identity as a family core, about our purpose in this world, the church must go beyond just simply having fellowship with one another and having friends and meeting weekly but being countercultural, showing how radically different we live in relationship to sex and money and power and fellowship and friendship and marriage and responsibility for how we love and, and shape our culture. Fast forward now to the New Testament. We have Herod's temple. This is the temple that was, that was up in Jesus' time. When they wanted to build Herod's temple in 19 AD, this is, they, instead of taking skilled masons and contract workers and architects and training them how to build a place where God would dwell, they took a thousand priests and trained them how to be masons and contractors and architects. And they thought, maybe this will help us do it right. And Jesus said, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And he was talking about himself, he was talking about his own body. He's talking about his death and resurrection. He was saying, and Peter is affirming it here in our scripture, this time Christ is building a spiritual house where his presence will dwell. And and in in that will rest his power, his strength, and he is the cornerstone that holds it all together. And he is making among us a priesthood, a kingdom of priests. So I want you to see what Jesus is wanting to make out of us today. If you trust in Jesus, you are a living stone holy, chosen, a royal priesthood. If you trust in Jesus, you are, you are as spiritual now as you ever will be. Now, I know a lot of people who might say, you know, why do you go to church? Why do you believe in religion? Why do you, why do, you do all these things? They say, well, I, I need to do this in order to become more spiritual. I want to become a more spiritual person. And what we really need is not to become a more spiritual person. We don't need to be trained in spirituality. We need to be trained in how to be masons better construction workers, to learn how to apply the sense in our life. Since Jesus has made me for community, I will live connected with others. We need to learn how to build that and how to do that better. Since I have been, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I will pursue him all the more in his word, and I will long for his scripture and his presence in my life like, like an infant for his mother's milk. Since he was rejected on my behalf, I am accepted and I can enjoy relationship with him now and forever. We need to learn how to apply the sense in our life. Since God has done all of this, what does it mean for me? Since God has revealed himself in his word, how do I apply this in my life? How do I build on what he has accomplished for me? Not how do I accomplish this for myself, how do I become a spiritual person, but how do I live this out? Now, building our life around the gospel about the love of Christ might might remind us a lot of like putting together like an Ikea bookshelf or something takes a lot longer than we thought and it never looks like the picture right and so you say yeah gospel community this is good it's in god's word and we think this is a great idea and then we get in community and we hate it at times we hate it we say maybe there's a different community that i can get involved in and what we don't realize is that our the gospel community is the context that god has provided for our growth and our sanctification it's the crucible for change It is this boiling pot that purifies the relationship killers in our heart. God is stretching us beyond our capabilities so that you can truly experience the power of the gospel, the power of the good news of Jesus. The book that I've read several times now, it's called Total Church by Tim Chester, and he says this, he says, It is the life of the gospel community the church, that authenticates the truth and power of the good news. Authenticates to the world around us. It communicates. This is real. The power and love of God is real. It changes people's hearts. It connects people. It gives us hope and joy. Nah, I don't believe that. Just look at that church. I don't see it. But this is what God's plan is for us. This is his hope for us. To live as God's people is to live in such a way that it just demonstrates to the world around us that we believe in the good news of Jesus, that we believe that we are saved based on His love, that He reconciles us to God, that He reconciles us to one another. Do you believe that? Sacrifice always breeds life. Otherwise, it's murder. But sacrifice breeds life. Sacrifice is meant to be a substitution for something taking the wrath the sub being the substitute for the brokenness of something else so that that something else could be healed and restored and that is what jesus has done for us what can you kill today in your life how could you act as a priest in killing something in your life that is that is hindering you from fu- fully enjoying the community of god that he has created for you is it selfishness Is it it an over-saturation of self-centeredness? What can I get out of this? Is it laziness? I understand that. It's just like at the end of the day, the beginning of the week, whatever, it's just hard to engage. It's hard to participate. It's hard to be present. Is it insecurity? What if people find out who I am? What if they really find out my, my garbage? What will they think of me then? Is it jealousy? Is it fear? All of these are answered as we find our identity as people who are loved and accepted by God. If we know that the gospel, the good news, that what Jesus has done for us, it answers all of those concerns. Now that we know what we're aiming for, and I I promise you that that each week would be a similar structure. We say, what is our aim? What is our mission? And then how do we know that we're actually being faithful to our mission? How do we know we're reaching our mission? I'll give you a few things there, too. What does this community look like? The first thing is this. We view the church less like an activity and more like an expression of who we are. See, Peter is saying, love one another from a pure heart. This is a command designed to create a distinct community. And here's what I think what will happen. In part, I think what will happen is when we really grow in that, we will treat our community with God's people not as something that we do, not as an extracurricular thing that we, uh, that we an activity that we involve ourselves in, but an expression of, of our identity. Now, a common picture that I see, and maybe you've seen this too, is what does a healthy person look like? A healthy person. A healthy person is a person that has a lot going on in their life, but they are able to juggle all of those things well. Faith, Marriage, family, work, community involvement, spare time, leisure, and celebration. They're able, they're juggling all these things. And a healthy person is a person that's doing all those things well. they got all these things in their life, and they're just, hey, I'm doing pretty good at all these things. Now, we need to think differently about what a healthy person is and how we view the things in our life. What, how does the gospel make us healthy? The aim of the gospel is not meant to balance our life, but to inform our life, to direct our life. It's not just another ball to juggle, but that which defines who we are and all that we do. It is not an activity, but an expression of our identity. It's not life-draining, but it's life-giving. Our gospel identity and gospel community give understanding for how to be a mother and a father and a, a husband and a wife and a son and a daughter and a coworker and a neighbor. It gives us meaning for how to live out all of these expressions. So our, instead of this picture of a healthy person juggling things in their life, a healthy person is a person who has all of these things around in orbit around their life, and at the center of their life is the gospel identity. And the gospel identity of who we are in Jesus is informing everything. So it's like, it's like the center of a wheel, and all the spokes on this wheel are all the responsibilities we have and all the resources that we are responsible for our money, and our time, and our family, and our work, and our neighborhood, and everything. And all of these things are informed by the center of that wheel, by the gospel. So our community is not just another thing in our life. It is, the, it is, our, is what's directing us and giving us energy to be what God has called us to be. So it's not something we do, but something that we are. So here's the second thing. We will find ways for the gospel community to change our lives. Now, we recognize that the context, for our, of our, uh, the context for our growth is community. Christ-centered community, surrounded by Christ-centered beliefs, orients our life towards sanctification, towards growing. A good friend is a sanctifying friend. A good church is a church that challenges us and sanctifies us and, 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 and propels us to look more and more like Jesus. A good friend is not just a friend that kisses us all the time and tells us that we're great, but a good friend challenges and encourages and holds us accountable. How many of you would come to church on a Sunday morning, wake up and say, you know what I hope for today? I hope that the way that I parent, the way that I work, the way that I treat my neighbors is just drastically changed today. Who thinks that? How few of us actually have that motivation in our day? But how many of us really think, I hope nothing is said that, makes me change the way I live too much Like I want to change some things I want to be a better person but I don't want the like foundation of my life to be uprooted and I don't want that but that's what the gospel does in this book called community aptly named community the author Brad House says this the purpose of the gospel community is to give physical demonstration of the grace of God this is happening when we crave God's word when we have questions for how to live in community this person is really difficult. How do I live with this person? Let's go to God's word and see how the gospel informs how we are to live and treat one another. This person's really hurt me. We're given vital opportunities to go to God's word to express the grace that has been shown to us to this person. What are my responsibilities as a mother, father, son, or daughter? We go to God's word and it informs us how to direct our lives and live our lives Live our lives in this capacity. So when we, when we trust that Christ-centered community is the context for our growth, We'll begin to see our lives align more clearly with God, with what God intends for us. And here's the last thing that I hope to see as a church that grows in this mission, is that the church is a place where the most broken and isolated can find restoration. Think about community like this. It's, it's, if it matters in heaven, it should matter here. The Bible describes a new heaven, a new earth, where God's people are reconciled to God and reconciled to one another in perfect relationship and peace. They're living in perpetual and eternal joy with one another and with God. If that is going to happen in heaven, then we should be a glimpse of that now. We should pursue that now. We should pursue living at peace with everyone as much as it depends on us. That's what God's Word says. We do not see in heaven, we do not see this picture of isolation. We see the opposite. We see that anonymity, which is being anonymous, kind of being unknown, is not only a myth, it is completely foreign to life with God in heaven. In the new heaven and the new earth, each and every one of us is fully known as we are fully known. That means that we will know God as well as he knows us. We will know one another as well as God knows them. And how do I know this is going to happen? Because this is exactly what Jesus prayed for in John 17. He said, he prayed, "I, I pray that they would be one with one another the way that God the Father is one with God the Son. That there would be a level of relational Intimacy, that joy and connection and community was something so vibrant and authentic that their life depended on this connection. Here's another quote from that book, Community. Christ, it's a long one, so stick with me. Soak this in. Christ-centered community allows us to reflect the relational nature of God, as well as His mercy and grace. It is a community that confronts sin, and forgives one another, marked by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It is a community that seeks to live in peace with one another and to reconcile broken relationships. That is drastically different than the way that the world handles conflict. When Christ reconciled us to one another on the cross, he made such a reflection possible. So when we talk about living as God's people we want to have a reflection of God's desire for us as his bound together people and all that it can be and we are given permission in his word to actually believe that it can be something um, transformational life-changing sanctifying joy-filled life-giving it could be amazing and we should pursue that we know we're doing it right when our community as a church, as God's people, are changed by the love of God, it radiates this hope of the gospel so bright that we increasingly see people who feel, would feel traditionally cut off from the community of God, that they would feel a place where they can grow, that we would see increasingly non-believers, people that feel isolated from God and, and God's people, that they would feel a place where they can come and learn and find friendship where we would see mended relationships between spouses, that we would see fathers and and mothers growing in their roles as spiritual leaders for their children, that we would see restored friendships between two hurt people restored, that broken people would find hope in the message of, of this community, of the grace of God, and basically that we would see the gospel power actually changing people's lives And informing everything that we do. So our community life is reinforced. I want to just go right into the Lord's Supper this morning, because this offers for us a great picture of our life now connected with God and connected with one another. Our community life is celebrated in this meal. We participate together in the body of Christ and with one another. And here's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Here's what he's saying. He said, put off all these relationship killers. He says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? And so he is saying here that when we participate in this meal by faith, we are confessing that we believe that God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And it is by faith in Jesus that our sins are forgiven, that we now have this relationship with God that is unending and and good, that He accepts us based on what He has done, that He is that sacrificial Lamb, that we come to Him, not because of our character or anything good that we've done, but we come to Him based on His grace. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for, for we all partake in one bread. Now, this bread has been already broken up for us. It's been, it was part of one bread at some point, and it's been broken up because we are part of one body. We are one body, not just isolated. We are one body connected to Jesus. He is our head. He is our cornerstone, and we celebrate that identity, and by taking this meal, we're not only confessing, Jesus, I believe in you, and I trust in you. We're also confessing, and you have bound together this community in which I will love and pursue and know, and I will invite them in to know me and pursue me and to love me because it is by this context that I will learn to grow more and more into who you are. That's what God has given to us. Let's pray for our meal. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.